Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. On Primetime Politics tonight, more questions about the federal government's pandemic response on a day when big bank earnings are in the COVID spotlight. Leader of the NDP, Jagmeet Singh, will be here to talk about that and the push for changes in long-term care. Also on a day when the NDP leader is apologizing for breaking the COVID rules. As more provinces announce reopening plans, more questions about whether some are set to lift restrictions too quickly. We'll get an expert opinion on timing and consequences. And our panel of political commentators weighs in on the top stories of the day. But we'll begin tonight with the ongoing pandemic response. A number of things to talk about tonight. The government confirming today that Moderna will deliver 2 million more doses to Canada over the next two weeks and millions more before the end of June. But the vaccine maker will still fall well short of its promise to send more than 14 million doses to Canada from the start of the year until the end of June. Instead, it has delivered less than half that amount. Federal Minister of Health calling on provinces with supply of AstraZeneca vaccine to share those doses with other provinces if they can't administer them before the expiry date at the end of this month. And in the House of Commons today, questions about problems in the federal government's quarantine testing at the border. The minister's talked about her top corporate partner, Switch Health. Well, they have a 17% failure rate, and that means thousands of Canadians have been stuck in quarantine longer than the 14 days. These tests were conducted on the 10th day after a return to Canada. They didn't need 15 minutes. They had many days, Mr. Speaker, and couldn't make it. It was clear that Switch Health messed up the process, so the Liberals actually changed the law to accommodate them. Why did the federal government change their own program rather than change the company? The Honourable Minister. Uh, Mr. Speaker, those allegations are incorrect. And as the member opposite knows, every step of the way, we've been guided by science and evidence in regards to protection at the border. Switch Health has been improving their services. We've been working with them. We've added additional providers at the border to ensure that Canadians can get prompt results on day eight testing. And Mr. Speaker, we'll stop at nothing to make sure that we do full due diligence to ensure that travel is safe and that uh, Canadians are protected. Canada's big banks are facing some criticism during this pandemic as they report their quarterly profits. The biggest bank, RBC, made a profit of $4 billion. The second biggest bank, TD, reported a profit of $3.7 billion. That may be good news to many as a sign that perhaps the worst of the pandemic's economic hit is over. But for the leader of the NDP, it's a sign that banks are earning money off the, bags, uh, the backs rather, of struggling Canadians. And the uh, profits are being reported as many of the banks raise their service charges. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh is with me now. Mr. Singh, going to get to the banks in just a, a moment. It's good to see you again. But look, I want to start with this video obtained by Global News that shows you exiting a vehicle with someone who isn't a member of your, your household and neither of you is wearing a mask and you exchange a hug. Uh, that's a violation of the health orders. Uh, what happened? What do you want to say about that? Yeah, it's one of those moments uh, you get home and you kind of let your guard down. Uh, lots of folks uh, kind of get home and start to feel like, oh, you're comfortable at home. And I did that. I let my guard down and I apologize. We got to be vigilant, make sure that we're doing everything possible. And I kind of reverted back to pre-pandemic days for me, uh, for a friend, someone who had volunteered with me for the day. We went to a virtual event 
Uh, I normally in pre-pandemic days would greet people or say bye to my friends uh, with a hug. And I reverted back to pre-pandemic days, kind of forgot where I was being home and being comfortable. And, and that's something that we got to be careful about. Uh, when you're at home in your driveway, you sometimes think, okay, I'm home now. Um, you you let your guard down and I let my guard down and, and I apologize for that. Okay, let's let's move on. The banks are reporting their profits these days. They're, they're very healthy. Uh, you say too healthy. Uh, what's your complaint? Well, the what to me seems just outrageous is that in the midst of a pandemic, when people have suffered and things have been tough, banks have made pretty significant profits. They've they've doubled and quadrupled their profit from last year, which means that they made profits in the pandemic off the backs of people. And on top of that, they are increasing banking fees at a time when we're in a pandemic. To increase banking fees in a pandemic, when people were encouraged to use their bank cards and their credit cards more, just seems like gouging. In a pandemic, to increase bank fees, uh, I directly blame the Liberal government because they've got the power to stop this. So they've what, got what significant powers? What specifically? The Prime Minister was pressed again by reporters today about this, uh, non-committal about taking any kind of action. What exactly do you want him to do? Stop this. Don't let banks gouge Canadians in a pandemic. And it sounds a little bit absurd that I have to say that entire sentence, which would be self-evident. We wouldn't want anyone to be gouged in a pandemic. But banks that are completely uh, within the federal jurisdiction, there's the Banks Act of Canada, there are memorandums of agreement, there's significant powers. We can literally limit the amount that banks charge on Canadians. And that's what the prime minister should be doing. One, declaring banks shouldn't be gouging Canadians in a pandemic. Again, it sounds outlandish that I have to say those words, but yes, they should make it clear. And secondly, use the powers we have at the federal government right. to limit the uh, the bank fees. Okay. Uh, look, the banks will point out that some of that profit they're reporting these days is uh, is from funds that were set aside for liabilities that didn't actually materialize in the pandemic. Uh, in fact, business and consumer insolvencies are lower than before the pandemic. That might suggest to some that uh, most Canadians are managing to pay their bills. So what responsibility do the banks have if that's the case? Well, they certainly shouldn't take an opportunity in a pandemic to raise fees. When people have suffered, we know certainly people have lost jobs. We know that people have had to use their bank cards more because we've been moving towards less cash transactions. So to take an opportunity when everyone knows that people are not using cash the same amount in a pandemic when we are all uh, faced with challenges, people certainly have felt the pain of this. Small businesses have shut down. People have lost their jobs. So we know that there's been pain felt by people for banks who are profitable, who took public money, made profits to increase their fees in a pandemic. It's just uh, utter greed. And the fact that the Liberal government is allowing this to happen, despite the fact they have powers to protect Canadians, is also just making matters even worse. Okay, let's let's move on. There's there's lots of debate uh, right now about provincial reopening. Some are more aggressive than others. Uh, you know, some are moving very quickly. Some moving in uh, more staged uh, reopenings. Um, and the federal government seems to be okay with that. To leave leave that to the provinces. Are you okay with that? Are are you happy the way you see provinces starting to move forward with trying to reopen here? Reopening is, is obviously a very difficult question. We, we know that people are feeling really frustrated with the lockdowns and it's been tough on businesses. So we want to see in reopening that's following the evidence. It's following the public health guidelines. Each province is dealing with different scenarios. We know that right now, for example, there's a massive outbreak in Manitoba, which has meant that people are being sent to Ontario because the IC units are being overrun. So the thing, uh, the circumstances are very different province to province. 
So in that sense, the differences that exist are relative to how bad things are. I just hope that we are always maintaining uh, the principle or the lens through which we make these decisions is the best advice for our public health officials. Do you think there's a bigger role for the federal government here in sort of piloting these provincial reopenings or should it, should it be hands off? I mean, we've heard them, uh, public health agencies say, look, 75% of uh, adults need to have had a first vaccination, 20% two vaccinations uh, for us to safely start reopening. But some provinces are moving ahead of that, not waiting to, to see that happen. Are you OK with that? I believe the federal government has a role to play in the vaccination process and in making sure that everyone gets vaccinated. And I've been really clear about that. I think the Liberal government has taken the approach that their job is just to get the doses and kind of hands off after that. I, I don't agree with that. I think the federal government has a role to make sure people get vaccinated, provide support, use all resources possible. And the second thing I think the federal government has a role to play is in the reopening, one of the most important tools is paid sick leave. We've heard from expert after expert that the highest rates of infection are still happening in places of work where people can't work from home. And so the federal program that we fought for is a good first step, but we've identified that there are problems with that program. And so that's why we're going to continue to say to Justin Trudeau, listen, the program was meant to work. It's not working. You know that. Fix that program. And that's a real concrete way the federal government can help in helping uh, the reopenings in a concrete way. Okay, let's finish on this. You also uh, called again today. Uh, you're, you continue to beat this drama about long-term care homes and where so many of the pandemic deaths have occurred and calling on uh, the federal government to eliminate for-profit uh, long-term care homes in this country. Um, do, you, do you feel like you're making any progress on this? Because the government has seemed disinclined to take you up on it. It's really troubling to me that that the, the national shame of this pandemic has been the fact that seniors in long-term care homes bore the brunt of the pandemic. And it did not have to be this way. And one of the most uh, telling and, and clear and obvious findings is that for-profit long-term care uh, homes have been the worst, the worst site of conditions and the worst site of infection and death. So we're saying we need to start with Rivera, which is right now owned by a federal agency, completely owned. It's the second largest provider. So we're going to continue to put pressure. I don't believe that uh, this pandemic attention towards long-term care should just stop because the pandemic has been dealt with. We have an opportunity to fix something where the most vulnerable people in our society continue to have the worst conditions of care. Mm. We can do something. And so far, the federal liberal government has not really been really inclined to do anything. They've talked about national standards and seem to have abandoned that now. They're not really moving ahead with it. We are going to keep on fighting for the people that are often voiceless. These are seniors that are often are dealing with multiple health issues and don't have a voice. We want to be their voice. We want to protect them. We want to make sure they get the care they deserve. All right. Uh, NDP leader Jagmeet Singh, uh, good to catch up with you tonight. Uh, we'll talk again. Take care. Thanks so much. Well, the province of Manitoba, with the highest COVID infection rates in North America, has extended its tighter public health orders for another two weeks. At the same time, Prince Edward Island and New Brunswick outlined today their staged reopening plans. And Alberta is promising a full reopening by July. Ontario, Quebec, BC and Saskatchewan, they're aiming for a gradual lifting of restrictions over coming weeks and months. But some experts worry that some provinces could be too quick to abandon health orders. More on that in a moment. Today, the Prime Minister was asked about the pace of provincial reopenings. 
I look forward to sitting down with all the premiers uh, this evening to talk about their plans for reopening. I think the one thing that is clear for everyone is we need to do two things. We need to crush uh, the current wave of COVID, get the numbers right down so that we can do all the contact tracing and isolation and response whenever or wherever you get little bubbles of COVID appearing over the coming months, because that will happen. Um, and the other thing we have to do is make sure that everyone is getting vaccinated. Rewa Dionandan is an epidemiologist and associate professor at the University of Ottawa and a frequent guest on this program. He's with us again. Uh, good to see you again, uh, Rewa Dionandan. Look, what concerns you when you hear some provinces setting out some fairly aggressive reopening schedules here? What does that make you either concerned about or wonder about? Well, my first thought is, are they gauged against indicators or are they attached to calendar dates? It can't be the second. It can't be arbitrary calendar dates that sound good to the people uh, and allow people to plan. They have to be based on things like the epidemiological indicators, the population health indicators, and the hospital capacity indicators. And the second thing I think about is, are we sufficiently protected against the arrival of new variants that are quite aggressive? And by that, I mean, do we have enough people with two doses into them? We're thinking about this summer as a one-dose summer, but really we need two doses in a lot of people before we can start really thinking about aggressively opening. Uh, let's drill down on that a bit. People see the vaccination rates uh, rising. Uh, they see new infections for the most part in most parts of the country decreasing and uh, things starting to reopen and plans to reopen. But what do they need to know about the continuing presence of COVID-19 and the threat that it presents uh, during those crucial reopening periods? Right. So the cases are coming down. That's pretty obvious. We're probably pretty much past the peak of this uh, third and hopefully last wave. Hopefully it is a last wave unless we do something really stupid like open up too fast and too quickly. But the lagging indicators are going to be things like hospital usage. So our ICU beds are going to continue to be occupied for three, four, maybe even five weeks after the cases subside. And that's important because that space in the hospital is needed for things like uh, movie filming in Toronto. Right. So if the stuntmen get injured, is there space in the hospital for them? So some things we cannot risk while there's no space in the hospitals. The second thing is, as I mentioned, the so-called Indian variant, B1167.2, is quite aggressive and hypertransmissible and is uh, causing some issues in places like the UK. But two doses of the mRNA vaccine is at least 80% effective against it. And that's our way out of this. So we can't really accelerate reopening until we start getting two doses into a lot of people to build that level of community immunity. So that's a good rhyme, community immunity. Yeah. So that you know we are resistant to things like this so that we never have to close again. So the risk in my mind is if we do this too quickly, we potentially have to do this all over again right. in the fall. Whereas if we do it right, we never have to close again. You know, Health Canada has said lifting restrictions should uh, only occur once 75% of adults have had at least one vaccine dose and 20% uh, are fully vaccinated. Uh, but most of the provinces are moving more quick, more quickly than that. And, and provinces seem to be setting their, their own rules for reopening. And uh, you've sort of touched on it here, but how concerned are you about uh, that approach? They, you're talking about you know, some of the considerations we need to, to keep in mind as we do this, but uh, some provinces uh, seem to be working off a different set of rules. That's the right. Healthcare, for the most part, is provincial in this country, and they understand their population and the burden of their disease better than anyone else. However, it's important to remember that this is a global issue. 
and it's a national issue as well. And what one province does affects other provinces eventually. Um, am I concerned that provinces are moving faster than the federal guidelines suggest? I am. I am. Because it's time now to err on the side of caution now more than ever before, because we have this ramp to normal. Let's not mess it up. So much of the emphasis for reopening is is on vaccinations. Um, but is that really the right measure or is it uh, just as important, maybe more important to look at what's actually happening in each community in terms of infections and the, the strain on the healthcare system? Well, the numbers are coming down for the most part, I think, because of the restrictions we put into place and also because things are opening up in terms of weather. But vaccination holds those cases down. So it's important to look at vaccination as the indicator that determines uh, how we can open things up permanently. But as I noted, these other indicators are important. So I, I categorize them in three categories, the epidemiological indicators, the population health indicators, and the health systems indicators. The epidemiological ones are things like the incidence rate, the reproduction number, the test positivity rate. That tells us how far along the wave we are. And the population health indicators are the percentage of people who've been vaccinated. That tells us how resistant we are to further infection. But that third set, the um, health systems indicators, the hospital usage, we don't talk about that enough. Right? And that tells us exactly how much we can play around in terms of opening up recreational activities in case people need their health services. So all three must be considered, not just one. What's the right way to proceed in terms of, uh, as these reopenings begin to take place, in terms of safety in workplaces, for instance, and stores and, and gyms as they begin to, uh, to reopen, not just for the businesses and what they might be compelled to do, but for the people visiting them? What are some things to keep in mind? Keep in mind that vaccination is not a perfect protection. It's fantastic, but it's not perfect. And the extent to which it fails determines how present the disease is. So the more prevalent the disease, the more likely it'll find holes in our defenses. As the incidence rate drops, then we can do things more flagrantly. So we have to keep these mitigation tools in place, like mask wearing and distancing and limits on gatherings, and lift them one by one as the summer unfolds and as the fall unfolds as well. We can't lift them all at once. So people have to remember vaccination is not a bulletproof solution. It's really good. It's not perfect. Let's finish on this. Do you foresee uh, uh, at some point um, different sets of rules for, for people who have been uh, vaccinated, fully vaccinated, and people who have uh, not uh, when it comes to uh, things like access and restrictions? I think so. We're going to see something resembling a vaccine passport for a while, but that passport includes vaccination, recovery from the disease, which is almost as good, and if you've had a recent negative test. So there's accommodation there for people who did not get vaccinated. That's important to consider. This isn't discrimination against the unvaccinated. There is a road forward for them. But there has to be a measurement, an indicator, a way to identify people who are less likely to infect the population if they enter a place of business. All right, Ray and always good to get uh, uh, your thoughts on these uh, these issues as the we move to, a, it seems like a, a different phase of the pandemic, hopefully one that leads to a, a, a full uh, recovery of uh, the economy and reopenings and so on, but lots still to consider. Thanks for your time tonight. My pleasure. Well, let's bring in our weekly panel of political commentators. Susan Smith is a liberal commentator. Tim Powers is a conservative commentator. And Kia Vashnajafi is an NDP commentator. Good to see you all again. Uh, Susan, look, uh, look uh, put your hand up, everybody, if you're fed up with the pandemic.
Yeah, I know. Where, I, I think I know. Yep. Just the hand <laughs> no kidding. Off the middle finger, Peter. Uh, look, uh, I think we all are. Uh, the provinces, though, now laying out their reopening plans, some more aggressive than others. And Susan, let me start with you. The premiers and prime minister are discussing uh, reopening plans in their call tonight. Uh, how comfortable are you with provinces alone deciding how and when they'll lift restrictions? I think that makes a lot of sense, except for on the federal border side of things. The, each province has its own numbers, its own situation. Uh, with vaccination rollouts, uh, its own population differences and densities. So I do think it makes a lot of sense for the provinces to do it. They're going to have to figure out some kind of system when it comes to interprovincial travel, perhaps, whether, you know, the Atlantic bubble stays. But I'm comfortable with the provinces uh, making their decisions within their borders because it reflects their populations. Tim, it's sort of in the context of we've seen this sort of guidance from Health Canada, 75% of people having received uh, a first dose of vaccination, uh, 20% uh, having received two doses. Uh, but some provinces aren't waiting for that. Some provinces are going out ahead of that. Uh, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I agree with Susan on this one. I mean, it probably makes most sense that the provinces set the tone. I think where Health Canada and the federal government has a role is to provide up-to-date information and to talk about general standards we should try to achieve and oversee borders. But, I mean, it, that this is no departure, Peter, from what we've seen throughout the pandemic. The provinces have made determinations on their own when borders are closed and who gets in and who gets out. I mean, what's happening now is the three P's, as I like to call them, politics, patience and pocketbook. Um, the politics in Alberta, for example, is probably set up a circumstance where Jason Kenney, to avoid being uh, pummeled by his own caucus, is moving more aggressively, driven by the pocketbook. The first province that is fully open uh, has a better opportunity, arguably, uh, to vacuum up some tourism travel dollars and other investments that will be made. And patience, yeah, yeah, if, it doesn't, earlier, if it doesn't slide into another wave, I guess. Yeah, yeah, and patience. People are just losing their patience everywhere. So there's some political merit to address that. All right. Kiyavash, what do you think? It, it, what's interesting about what um, uh, Tim just laid out, which I completely agree with, those three Ps, is that an S is missing, and that's the science. I do worry about the, yeah. the, the way that things are happening and the decisions that are being made being driven more by politics than by the science of the situation. I hope to God we're not going to have a fourth wave because that will just be unbearable. Yeah, I think that that's what a lot of people are concerned about. Um, Tim, Doug Ford took the unusual step of uh, today of asking medical experts in a letter he's widely circulated uh, whether schools in the province should reopen and, and under what conditions uh, with about, a, I guess, about a, uh, you know, a le less than a month now or so left in the, in the school year in Ontario. He's given the experts till 5 p.m. Friday uh, tomorrow to answer. Uh, like, I don't think he's issued a broad appeal before uh, making other decisions uh, in the name of the government. Why now? Uh, maybe it was that pummeling he got recently, Peter, that uh, he clearly hasn't recovered from, and it's made Ontario uber conservative. Maybe that's good, maybe that's bad, but Doug Ford is not going to make a move to open schools um, or keep them closed unless he can point to a whole body of evidence that says this group of scientists said they must be open and these were opposed, but I've gone with this body or we can't open because this group of scientists say we can't. He's, he's developed shields now uh, in, in hopes that the blame will fall elsewhere and the frustration will not be directed at him and that he doesn't stumble anymore during the course of the pandemic. Yeah, what do you think here, Susan? Is this a, a sort of broadening of, of the leadership uh, tent here or is it an abdication of leadership? 
Well, there's a very technical term. It's called CYA politics. Cover your fill-in-the-blank politics. And that's exactly what uh, Doug Ford is doing here. He did get pummeled. Tim is absolutely right. Didn't listen to the scientists about playgrounds and golf courses and tennis courts and things that could keep people outside and safely. He's hearing from families that are desperate for so many reasons, particularly the mental health of kids, to get them back into schools. And he wants to inoculate himself in case the kids go back to school and then there's increased uh, transmission of COVID. Uh, I think it's a good thing to do. I, it's good to get, he should be taking the advice of the science table. I don't know that why he needed a letter this time and he didn't every other time. But as I said, CYA politics all the way. Uh, Kiyavash? Can't agree more. Uh, there's, you know, and I, but the other side of that this strategy is that it's such a diverse group of people that, that he's asking information from. He doesn't have a tendency of consulting. Remember what he did to Toronto City Council? Did he consult with anybody, including the mayor? No. Uh, so, you know, they, I don't think anybody takes this as an honest effort for consultation. And the second part of it is that when you ask so many different people with different interests and, and representation giving you advice, you're just going to be overwhelmed. On Friday afternoon, evening, his office is going to get 15 different types of uh, recommendations and how he's going to make a decision or justify that decision based on those recommendations is beyond me. Yeah, could this make things more complicated for him, Tim? Yeah, um, it might, but but I mean, he can then point to what's happened in Atlantic Canada, right? Uh, Susan knows Atlantic Canada well. Her late father came from there. I mean, in Atlantic Canada, the premiers have been fully aligned with the chief medical officers. And around the world, for good or for bad, Atlantic Canada has been lauded for the bubble. It's been lauded for its protection. Maybe Ford has looked at this and said, all right, if they've gotten away with it, my premier's down there and public opinion is still uh, such that um, people want a more conservative approach, then he can probably get away for it. I mean, there's any number of doctors popping up today saying, wait till September, wait right. till September to let the schools come back. So you, uh, he can probably navigate his way out of this. Susan, but there's already a pretty broad representation on the existing science table. I mean, those are the people he's been going to throughout uh, and saying, here's here's what I've heard from that. I get lots of differing opinions. Yeah, and, he doesn't always like what he hears no, from No, but though. and David Williams <laughs> is out there a couple of times a week, the chief medical officer in the province of Ontario, giving his point of view. So it, it makes you wonder if, if there's that group of people around the science table, uh, why you need to supplement it even beyond that. Well, there's an old trick that politicians employ, Peter, and you'll have seen it as a member of the media. If you get asked a whole bunch of questions at once, you cherry pick the one you want to answer. And so Doug Ford is going to ask a whole bunch of people their opinion on this, and then he yeah, can seven cherry pick. Seven or eight different questions are in this in this, uh, in this letter. Oh, this he'll letter cherry to, pick because yeah. he'll get so many different, he'll get some similar, some different results, and he'll pick what he wants to suit the political wins, I think. Right. Uh, but Kiyavash, I guess I'm wondering if he, if, to your point, if he gets all these, all these different opinions, how does he decide, how, how does he boil it down into one that he can put before the people and say, look, I heard all these different opinions and uh, the consensus is sort of over here. I mean, I, I suppose he's just going to throw his hands in the air and say that this is too difficult. I'm not going to do anything about it. But the, the main question isn't to, you know, the teachers union or to, uh, parent groups or to doctors, what is uh, the perfect time for opening the schools? The main question is to the premier and his education minister, what have you done with the time you've had? What have they done with the money that was provided from the federal government? What have they done with ventilation issues in schools? What have they done to reduce the size of the classes? What have they done on any of these fronts? 
I haven't seen any progress. And I think trying to pin this on on uh, students, parents or teachers is the kind of thing right. that he's he's trying to do, but ultimately is going to be held to account for, for the okay. mess that, quite we'll, frankly, is created. We'll, we'll see what comes of it. Uh, that's the time we have for tonight. Thank you all uh, for joining me, and we'll uh, talk again next week. Take care. Thanks, Thank Peter. You. Thank you. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Primetime Politics. I'm Peter Van Dusen. From all of us here at CPAC, thanks for watching. We'll see you next time.